0: What's happening, weirdos? Uh, With everything that's going on, I hope everybody is healthy and safe and uh, relatively sane. Um, I know this is a normal guest and a normal episode. I promise I've been scrambling and doing my best to try and get some uh, new and relevant voices to everything that's going on uh, these days. But uh, in the meantime, please enjoy uh, this wonderful And uh, I say light, meaning it's not a heavy episode, but it's a light, wonderful episode with hopefully my new friend, uh, Josh Gad. We really did hit it off. We just had this conversation today, actually. Um, He's, uh, what what am I telling you? You're about to hear. He's a delight. He's a delight. What else did you expect? Um, I do want to point out that the Simpsons, am I saying that right? The Simpsons, the Homer Simpsons, uh, the two episodes that I wrote called Warren Priest's are on Hulu now. I'm only telling you that because I'm proud of them. Uh, and if you like this podcast, uh, the themes in that ep- in those episodes are very similar to the show. Um, I also want to give a shout-out to our Pete's Picks, Charlotte's Web Hemp Oil. Get some of that. I just had some of the Calm, C-A-L-M, Calm Gummies. Go to cwhemp.com slash weird and use promo code Keep Crispy 19 if only for the Calm Gummies. I mean, we all need a little Calm uh, and they are my magic charm, charlem. Oh, God. I have to start planning what I'm going to say before I say it. I also uh, want to give a shout-out to the original Pete's pick, uh, which is Alpha Brain, one of the original Pete's picks. Alpha Brain, you guys know this by now, is a nootropic. It's made with earth-grown ingredients, it helps you with focus, it helps you with memory, it's not a stimulant, it's not like caffeine or like coffee or anything like that, meaning you can take it even before bed, I highly recommend you do because it can give you some pretty cool dreams, but basically for the past four or five years now, if I am doing anything where I need my brain to be operating at peak performance... Uh, Be it a podcast or writing a script or doing stand-up or even just going on a date or hanging with friends and I want to be there fully in my brain's full power, which just makes life better. Uh, I take Alpha Brain, two or three Alpha Brain, 15 minutes beforehand. You absolutely feel the difference. You feel that your brain is getting the nutrients, and like I said, the earth-grown ingredients that it needs to function at maximum capacity. I wish I knew about it in school, but I'm so glad I know uh, know about it now. Val and I are taking a couple of days off. I still take it, uh, just because it helps me be in the moment. It helps me be clear. It helps me retain what I learn. Helps me be a good friend, good host, and hopefully a good partner. Like I said, it's your brain, and if you want to give your brain some help uh, that mine needs, I think that we could all use try Alpha Brain. Go to onit o n n i t dot com slash weird, and you'll get ten percent off your order. Another Pete's pick that I have been living off of these days. Obviously, I'm trying to limit my trips to the grocery store, so having an easy and nutritious superfood drink mix to help me with my meals and help me stay healthy and help me stay fed and, and full is cachava. Cachava is just a real secret weapon in my cabinet arsenal. <laughs> it's a plant-based superfood drink mix. As I mentioned, it comes in chocolate. It comes in vanilla. It's actually delicious. It's 100% plant-based. It's got eight superfruits, 17 greens and veggies, I, for one, have been nervous about getting uh, produce these days, so it's hard to get that stuff in my system, but it's right there in the bag. Uh, It's gluten-free, it's soy-free, there's no artificial sweeteners or preservatives. It's sweet because there's coconut nectar in it, which is a low glycemic sweetener, which means it doesn't spike your blood sugar. It's got 24 grams of protein and 9 grams of fiber, but it's actually delicious and it makes you feel amazing. I like it because it does keep you full for 3, 4, 5 hours. It's a great meal replacement, kind of like living in the future, like a meal in a pill. But the main perk for me is the raw cacao, the maca root. These are the things that your body needs for vitality and honestly to have the energy to feel good. When I drink it, it makes me feel good, it makes me feel full, helps me stay healthy, helps me stay uh, synonym for healthy here. <laughs> I was gonna say lean. Some people do take it for weight loss because it's a wonderful way to uh, substitute a meal. I just take take it because it makes me feel so good. You can get 20% off and show your support of this podcast by going to K-A-C-H-A-V-A, that's com slash weird, and you'll get 20% off. Speaking of superfood, plant-based superfoods, my friend David turned me on for about a month now, a little over a month, to Tahitian Noni Juice. Tahitian Noni Juice for thousands of years is a superfood and a superfruit known for its medicinal properties used by healers, like I said, for thousands of years as an ancient health remedy. But it is also scientifically proven now. Modern science got in the mix, and it's been proven to boost immune activity and naturally enhance energy and support overall wellness. I'm taking two shots a day, four ounces twice a day, Uh, It tastes like pomegranate juice, kind of. It's got like a tart sweetness to it. They did double-blind clinical trials with placebo that showed that four ounces twice a day increases your NK cell count. That's your natural killer cells. These are the cells killing off the bad guys, helping your immune system stay powerful by 30%, giving 30% more ammunition to fight off things and stay healthy, healthy. It tastes great to me. I, like I said, if you like tart things, it doesn't even matter. You can pour it in your smoothie if you don't want to taste it directly. You're getting 275 nutrients and phytonutrients, key uh, vitamins, key minerals, antioxidants. You take it in conjunction with Cell Defense, which is a supplement that they made to, uh, specifically to be taken with your Tahitin Onju. Clinically shown to help your body fight inflammation, usually A body, uh, a body, a bottle of one liter bottle of Tahit Nonju and Cell Defense would be $100. But you can get both for 40 bucks and show your support of this podcast. I look forward to it. It does boost my energy. It makes me feel good. But my favorite part is knowing that I'm doing something for the unseen action in my body, helping me stay healthy and in peak performance. Go to NoniNewAge.com slash Weird40 and you will get both of those, usually a hundred bucks for $40 and show your support of this show. All right, guys, enjoy Josh Gad. Uh, like I said, in the coming weeks, we'll have more direct conversations, um, is my hope about, uh, the climate and what's happening. Uh, I hope everybody is okay. Please stay safe. Keep the vibrations high, keep the love high, uh, and be good to one another, please. I, I feel like Bill and Ted's be excellent to one another, please. Um, and uh, enjoy my chat with the incredible Josh Gad. I get into it. Oh, sorry, one more thing. I forgot to plug. Josh Gad has a new show on uh, the Apple platform made by the wonderful Lauren Bouchard and Josh. Lauren uh, is the creator of Bob's Burgers, one of my favorite shows of all time, and it is incredible, so uh, please check it out. I just forgot to plug it. And I want to plug it because it's incredible and it's Josh Gad's latest uh, project and a wonderful way to pass your time in these uh, in these indoor days. Enjoy. All right. Get into it. Oh, no, you probably get that every day. Fuck my face. Now you say what's up, Holmes, and we'll be even.
1: Peter, you're better than that, Peter. No, I am. I know I am. It's just like I've come to depend on far worse for comics for that and i know i can
0: i can put you in touch with so many uh, (laughs) that that can say oh my god to you i am i'm a little sad but you know what life is about feeling right yeah right human experience is about this sort of like I'm trying to get into like embodiment and just being like, there it is. I feel a flush feeling. In my
1: cheeks. By the way, do it without uh, the CDC's warning of, of touching your face.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we were talking about because Katie and I were both just saying that like I'm in an Airbnb right now, Gee. and the story. I, aha. so okay, you can represent <laughs> the other side. <laughs> we were we were that way we were just like i would never do that i would never do that uh do anything i think it's because we we went to a march both Kate, katie you can feel free to chime in katie and when you were with that many people something wilts in you that you're right. like if that was okay uh then the airbnb is is so much less frightening even though this an airbnb would have been my nightmare 3 weeks ago i would have been like are you fucking nuts Now we just came in, we just came in, but I'm getting the sense that you wouldn't do that.
1: No, no, we're, we're having the same discussions. I'm uh, here's the thing is I'm so um, blown away. And and we also marched by, by the show of support and by the fact that for the most part, everyone was so unbelievably cautious by wearing masks and also nervous because I, I I think we're all seeing an uptick in the numbers again, which freaks me out because I just can't imagine a, a life of just indefinite, uh, stay at home quarantine. So it's a tough call. Like we're, we're, we're looking at the same thing now. We're, we're, we're sort of planning something that, but, but again, it's like, as long as you're going from one shelter in place to another and, and you're like, you know, you go into that facility and clean it up. Like, I feel like it's, it it makes absolute sense. Like I need to get my kids out of this house. Like I I, <laughs> I need to get out of this house. I, I can't take much more of this. It is it is sad that like the most joy my children have had in the last uh, three months is is marching for social justice reform. <laughs> like I is. we that was like their biggest outing yet. And and like that is crazy.
0: It's so funny that you say that because Val and I came home and we had a feeling, first of all, you get all these feelings from doing something like that, but we also just identified like, what is this feeling? And it's like, oh, we're tired from having done something with other people, that specific kind of collective good tired. And and we were so happy. (laughs) Like, I mean, obviously we felt everything throughout the day, but like maybe the next morning there was sort of like a glow of having been with humanity that reminded me that we're not missing it. That being said, and to start on a less serious note, we dived right in. We dove, we dove. Mm-hmm. We did it both. We did both. Really. We did both. I'm so happy to talk to you. I feel like this is what I need. I need I'm such guy. a big,
1: I'm such a big fan, by the way. Get
0: in the van, Josh. No, it's true. It's I true. can't handle it. That's so nice to hear. You're, you're a genius. I, come on. That's really won't. I
1: won't. I want you to hear it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I was like I even though we can we wanted to come and get in the ocean. My my daughter, we, we were both fathers of daughters. She's she's almost two. And as a family we love the water and there's something so, so eternal about it. And you see it Mary Oliver the poet has this great line where she calls the the ocean it's time ridiculing waves. So it's just these waves that are happening no matter what's going on. Right. Something very sort of primal calling us back to just seeing the ocean, this thing that's like, no matter what's going on, the ocean is just doing its thing. Oh, no,
1: I, I get it. I grew up in South Florida and, and there wasn't a weekend that I remember growing up where we didn't go to Fort Lauderdale Beach or, or Hollywood Beach where, where I was raised. And and it's there's something so cathartic about not only the feel of the waves and the interaction with the waves, but just the sheer sound, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's a reason that people have made billions of dollars on apps that try to replicate that sound because I there is sort of a human agree. desire. There's mm-hmm. a human desire for it. And, and, uh, and that's what we're trying to do now is trying to figure out a way to safely sort of go to the ocean and uh, while staying healthy.
0: I, well, I'll say that like where we are, which is just wet. I, I'm assuming you're in LA. Just'm in l a just, yeah. just our beach, just keep driving west um it's not so bad, like it's very easy to stay away from people, and it's very sparse. oh great, it's also a weekday. I mean this is we're we're still being very very careful, you know it's funny is Fort Lauderdale, I think my dad goes there for the Boston for the Red Sox spring training. Does that sound familiar
1: yeah, yeah, uh you know when I was growing up, the Yankees. Uh, used to train down there specifically, Uh, I remember seeing um, Don Mattingly. uh, Don Mattingly! On ALF, they called him Don Melmac Mattingly. (laughs) (laughs) Don Mattingly, who, by the way, is now uh, the the coach for the Miami Marlins who's who's sadly... No way! Yeah. Mattingly, get rid of
0: those sideburns. He's a legend! (laughs) He's like, he's... he's... (laughs)
1: He is a That's legend. He's a legend. That's
0: great. Um, so I think I've been in your neck of the woods. I think I've been to Hollywood a number of times. I, I feel like this might be as obvious as saying, oh, my God. But I was genuinely curious if growing up in Hollywood gave you an awareness of the other Hollywood. You know what I mean? Like, it, was
1: always, it was always like much of Florida, a running joke. Uh, you know that we were <laughs> uh, we, we were sort of like the other Hollywood, but it, it didn't really add up to much. Um, but yeah, I always had aspirations and dreams of of moving out west and and becoming an actor I think from a very early age. Probably like my first memory of really wanting that was probably like around five. I, saw, I knew um, it. This is why yeah. I want... I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I was
0: like, no. "This." I knew you were my homeboy. I, I'm sorry I didn't return the compliment because you're absolutely a genius. Oh, thank you, man. And a phenomenal talent. And I see Frozen over your shoulder. I, I should always start with this. I see... We've been watching Frozen nonstop with my daughter. Uh, and Olaf is so genuinely fucking great. And you elevate oh, it. It's It's you. not just... That it's well written. It is very well written. And Central Park, same thing. You elevate stuff. You take great stuff and you make it really, really great. Even better. Even better.
1: You're very so. sweet. That that's, uh, I I try to do <laughs> to get out of the <laughs> way and just let 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 whatever's being gifted to me um, to do its thing. But but I um I yeah I I sort of always knew I wanted to be an actor, and I was about five, four or five years old. Uh, and in fact, I had this memory of seeing The King and I. Uh, it was for my brother's birthday, and I was in a theater uh, in in like the Fort Lauderdale area. And I and I remember fleetingly knowing that who I was watching was Yul Brenner because I had mm. seen the movie so many times. And only recently did I authenticate that story. And my mom said, "Yes, you. you, you I took you and your brothers." to go see Yo Brenner do the King and I in the theater. And I think that was like the first moment where I said, man, I want to do that one day.
0: Wow. I knew yeah. that's, that's uh, for you're a good uh, person to talk, if you're What I was going to say, I didn't want to call you an interviewee because this isn't really an interview. <laughs> you, you picked up the slack. Cause I inter I interrupted by saying wanting to say, I knew I wanted to talk to you because I knew, I feel like we have a hamminess in common that yeah. is, The shared hamminess of kids, specifically, that I'm not surprised at all, that knew right away there's something called show business. Like, oh, yeah. There's a place to put this abundance of sort of, I wanted to be jokey. I wanted to make people laugh. I wanted to put my face in the ice cream at the birthday party. I just, I wanted to be silly. And then somebody says, You could do that. And I was like, Get out of the way! Yes. I, you have that about you. I knew it. No, it's
1: it's the two of us and Daniel Day Lewis. I feel we're like really, <laughs> really sort of like kind of upbringing and desire to
0: Daniel Day Lewis was probably we could shoot it like he was watching his father at a cocktail party smoke a cigarette, and then we we sort of like uh, pull focus so now we can see little Daniel Day in the background, and he's doing it with a carrot stick, and he's, he's like, doing with a
1: ca- yeah. He's mimicking
0: pure drama and and pure emotion and feeling and where and it was I'm, in
1: that moment he decided he was gonna be both a tortured artist and a cobbler for the rest of his life.
0: <laughs> I uh he also peeked down at the shoes. He was like, <laughs> I could do better than that. I could do
1: better than those shoes. <laughs> I uh I I I remember going to see uh this this tracks. I remember going to see um uh Borschfeld's comedy in the catskill mountains for my grandparents wedding anniversary and again i was like five or six and and i laughed harder at these jokes that this like terrible <sighs> boy style community ah, was doing ah, any ah, ah, any ah, adult ah, in the audience not even knowing what the fuck they were talking about but i was like yeah this is funny shit like i want to do this,
0: this that's hilarious i was yeah. fascinated by stand-up comedy i don't think i even into past when I had tried it, I remember I was a reenactor. i don't Did you ever do any weird acting jobs like that? I, I, I pretended I lived in 1692 while I was in downtown. Salem, oh no way. Like staying in character, and, and we turned it into a comedy. It was a really weird time of my life. It's, and it's, it's where I met my ex-wife. But we did a show like a trade show for bikers. This sounds like a, I'm pitching you a movie. <laughs> Bikers, uh, like biker—I don't want to say gangs, but like Harley Davidson people and groups of them—love <laughs> American history. I didn't know either, so we're like there doing answering their questions about the witch trials in character. And then once a day, this poor guy—it's a hell gig now. I realize had to get up and do stand-up in this huge conference room while people are just walking around. And I had what what you had, which was like I was just fascinated that he was trying to do something. He was like trying to cook underwater, but just because because he was trying to do it, I was like, I got a closer look at it. Like maybe your boorish beltedness like really put a laser point on what show business is. Cause you saw him not destroying where the magic really sweeps everyone away, but you watched kind of a hell gig and you were like, I still love it. Like I still, I still
1: love it. Yeah, I still it's, want in. Yeah, it was. It was that I I, I recorded um, Comic Relief five uh, on HBO when it came. out. Oh my out. god! And I and I watched that thing over and over and over again. And I just studied. I would study Robin, uh, Billy, and Whoopi, uh, and 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 just all of these comics like Gary Shanling and and. Wow. Uh, and, uh, you know, people, um, at the time, uh, like Don Rickles, who I just was like, what the fuck is this? Like, this yes. is just crazy. Yes. Just the, the, you know, the disparate sort of like approaches to comedy and the, the vastness of, of tone and, uh, and, you know, style was, was just so fascinating because growing up in South Florida, I just, I wasn't surrounded with, uh like i imagine a lot of people growing up in chicago or new york are surrounded with just great comedy everywhere mm. uh so i had to search um and 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 i i sort of knew that i would never be a, a stand up just because i i don't think i have the the the, the you know the, the soul for that like i, yeah. I think i
0: i was going to say compulsion i and that's not even putting down uh my people or whatever i'm like it, it's there's something compulsive about it. It's almost like people I, that, that have to listen to the same song 15 times a day. Like standups have the same thing. They want to tell the same I, joke. I'm
1: in awe. Like I'm in yeah. awe of of standups. And I was for a while flirting with doing, um, you know, uh, a movie about Sam Kinison. And and so I started to to oh, wow. really delve into the club scene. And, and with you uh, as Sam, would you? you yeah. play him? Wow, yeah, I'm, I'm that's cool. And, and I was really, uh, really blown away. Uh, but again, like it, it is a lonely existence. It's, it's, it's a scary sort of lifestyle that I just could not wrap my head around because so much of what I love about what I do is interaction Yeah, and I, and I love reacting. Right. I love like that.
0: I completely uh, understand if I were to coach you, which I never would because I don't think anybody should be talked into doing standup. But if you did do that movie here, what I would say is you are improvising you're improvising with an entity, uh, right, with, the, uh, with the audience, which is why you can break the fourth wall. You can change the order. You can decide to not do a joke. It's, you can just talk to them if you want. So like I had the exact same problem cause I started an improv and I was like, I read Truth and Comedy, Sharna Halpern and Del Close's right. book, and they were like the kind of poo-poo stand-ups. They're like stand-up comedians are like salesmen that go door to door, like 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 a Willy Loman, just like sell. It. Do you does anybody need a what's the deal with like just like hawking <laughs> your wares? And I was like, there is something right about what they're saying, and it's weird. Something in the quarantine, I've noticed that like. I don't miss everything about it. It, I've had some clarity about, like, it is a a difficult thing. I'm only telling you that to tell you, like, I think you're right. (laughs) No, (laughs) no, no, no. Even though I love stand-ups and I I admire them and I'll always be one, there's something where I'm like, a guy like you in an ensemble. I think, to jump ahead, or we're jumping around, but, like, when I think of you and Book of Mormon starting that show, in New York, right? Was it in New York? Yeah. It's in New York. I didn't know if there was like a trial somewhere and I don't know. No.
1: So it's, so you're you're in New York, that.
0: you're with a cast, you're doing it every night and sharing even the like, that crowd sucked or like, wow, uh, Saturday matinee really pulled through today. Like I got All the applause it. break here and someone else says it to you. Oh, Gad, you hit that note or or whatever it is to share it. I mean, could you talk a little bit about just that, what you love Oh that's back. that's right you I mean
1: literally know. verbatim that is exactly what the what that experience was like which I'm sure is a similar experience to any given night doing stand up across the country I I you know with Book of Mormon it was such like a nuclear bomb went off like it was just like I I really sort of was not anticipating that the show was going to hit Mm. I I knew that it was brilliant, but I thought it would be protested off the stage after like. Dude, when weeks. I
0: when I saw it, I was like, and I, I was raised religious. I was like, is it is this is this legal? Because <laughs> everybody was like, it's dastardly. But I was like, get the fuck out of my face! It's Broadway. You're you're not going to actually shock me. And then you're like this, and I've seen it many times, and I'm like, this is absolutely. Really shocking, but absolutely, truly wonderful and hilarious. Not, not yeah. Broadway shocking, not Broadway hilarious, like a real other thing. I, I'm not putting down Broadway. I'm just saying, like, sometimes it can be softened.
1: No, I, I agree. And, and that's why I really did not anticipate the, the reaction that it would get that here we are almost 10 years later and this show, obviously, with the exception of the pandemic, it has been going uh, as strong as ever. And I think it's a testament to the brilliance of Trey Parker, and Matt Stone.
0: Yeah.
1: Who are just like amongst the greatest satirists to ever uh, live in the modern era.
0: Yeah. I would love to pick their brain about the timing. If you look at, if you spray out the show like a timeline and you have a moment, the, the fuck you God song, if they know they're dropping that bomb, do they know, almost like Einstein, like looking at the way that gravity bends under a planet, do they know that they have to compensate that deep with how sweet it is at the end, you know what they I'm do. saying? I they bet do. they, I bet they know. I'd love to talk to them about that precise they point. They do. Like, I'll
1: give you, boom. I'll give you an anecdote. There was, uh, you know, the the show has a very uh, insane song if you've never uh, seen it before called the <laughs> Evil," and there's some uh, very <laughs> difficult uh, statements made in that song, particularly one having to do with a baby. And I, and it made me deeply uncomfortable. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if this is going to work. So shortly before we, uh, entered previews, um, I, I went up to Trey and Matt and I go, is there, is there a way that we could even just cut one of those lines? Like just one. And they both looked at me and they go, you know what? I think you're right. That we're, that we're, um, we're making the wrong decision here. And I go, oh, okay, thank God. And they go, we're actually going to add two more references to it. And I was like, what? And it was like, I was like, oh, fuck, what have I done? And, and what I realized, and, and it's what makes him so effortlessly brilliant, is that they knew the only way for the audience to accept the very difficult things that were about to be said, obviously for comedic effect, but also we laugh because we know there's truth in, in yeah. what is being said was to, to be the audience over the head with it so that they didn't just, they didn't, they never felt like we were running away from what it is we were satirizing and what wow. it is, what, what statement was being made. And, and it's the, it's the brilliance of Trey that it's it's the brains of you know another person that i've been uh blessed enough to work with john stewart or, or armando ianucci these are guys who who just understand as you said the like beautiful mind mechanics of satire and how yeah.
0: to and big picture
1: and big picture and how to play the long game
0: it sounds like uh maybe i'm quoting somebody pretending to know something about jazz but um, I like jazz. And they somebody said, if you make a mistake once, it's a mistake. But if you do it twice, it's a choice sort of thing. And yeah. you can s- sort of hear that with certain soloists where it's like they make some weird noise. So it seems like that's the play there. It's like, look, if we make one horrible baby death joke, uh, everybody kind of gets to spend the rest of the show wondering how they feel about it. But if you do what good art should do, which is you keep pushing it on them to the point, almost like shock therapy, where it's like, we're not going to run away from this and we're going to do it collectively. That's what, I hope you've seen Book of Mormon in the audience. Have you sat in the audience?
1: I have. I've seen it twice now in the audience. Oh, that's wonderful.
0: Do you feel the like group, and I'm sure you get your bread buttered all the time, so forgive me, but I'm buttering your bread a little bit. But the show has this like hypnotic, like the group, the the audience goes through something as one thing. I know you could say that about anything, but there's like a an exorcism happening.
1: I, well, I mean, I, I never experienced it by watching Book of Mormon, because frankly, by the time I left Book of Mormon, it was so ingrained in my DNA that I like could not separate myself from the show it, itself, right. but, I've had a similar experience watching Hamilton, where I went back and saw it five times, yeah. and just felt like, okay, this is what I imagine the people who have uh, constantly come back to see Book of Mormon must have yes. felt. Yes, it's a spell,
0: and that and that it's, it's
1: a spell, and it's what all great theater does. I, I, yeah. You know, I, I the best theater has that ability to just take you on this journey that you leave the theater so mesmerized that you feel like you have to relive it again because it gives you this this shot of adrenaline.
0: It's like, um, have you seen My Dinner with Andre? Of course. I believe they got in touch, those two guys, because of a production of, oh, it's something obvious. It's not Peter Pan, but it's something like that. It's like there was a production. Wait, which two guys, Gerard
1: Depardieu and...
0: The the two lead guys. I'm, I it. I'm blanking on it. I still call that guy the inconceivable guy because I'm an idiot. <laughs> it's
1: uh, uh, Wallace, Wallace Shawn.
0: Okay, so he went and saw Des Pardus yeah, in, sure in some play and I, I just had like New York 70s envy <laughs> where I was like, can you imagine? They were like, it was dangerous. It was scary. It was hilarious. And they were talking about the, they were talking in a way that people only really talk about, like, psychedelic trips, religious experiences.
1: I, I'm mistaken, by the way. It's Andre Gregory and Wallace Sean. Not your other person. Okay. Just it up. Uh, well, it's a, be- a beauty of doing a podcast from your computer.
0: That was we, very elegant. I can't believe you typed without me noticing.
1: Well, you clearly don't have a fact checker there, so I wanted to be a <laughs> first.
0: Katie's uh nursing a, a bum knee. <laughs> I'm just
1: kidding, Katie. It is not your
0: job to fact check. If, if she had to fact check what we said, uh, it would be too much. It would be too much. But that, I wonder. Um, I I am apologetic, meaning I defend comedians who sometimes blame the audience. I, I've heard a lot of comedians be like, "It's not the audience. It was you. There's something you could have done. It's your fault." And I, I would tell this to an audience. I, I I, just being honest, like we didn't have it tonight. Like, it's not personal. The audience didn't find it. Like you, you couldn't do it. Like you tried. I
1: I got, I would get so fucking resentful to some Book of Mormon audiences. That's what I'm saying. Okay. You knew where I was
0: going. This is what I want. I
1: would, I would drag my ass out there and be so tired on a given night. And I was like, if I can find the willpower to do two of these in one day, uh yeah. you no, know, then you can find the willpower to give us back the energy that we need in order to do this communal experience called theater. Dude. Having said that, there were plenty of times when I'm sure that my arrogance was absolutely in the wrong and the audience was getting less than they paid for. And I'll tell you why I say this. <laughs> I was the biggest fan of um the producers. So I went to go see the producers, and it was one of the most godlike uh, experiences I've ever had in theater, just seeing uh, Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane at the heights of mm. their comedic powers. And I saw it three times, and the first two times I saw it in the first year. But then they came back, uh, I want to say like a year after <laughs> they had left. And I saw it again, and they were clearly over it. Oh and my God. Felt that they were over it.
0: Oh my and God. Felt
1: the energy on the stage, and I was like, well, fuck, man, I just paid a $100 for this. Yeah. And so, like, I know in my heart that I pulled that same thing on many nights that I was on stage where I was just like, what do I want for dinner?
0: Yeah, for uh, sure. where
1: It's just you're going through the motion. And it's human nature. If If you do 300 plus shows over the course of a year, you're going to get mentally tired.
0: Oh my God. I think about it all the time. We saw Hamilton and we like, I kind of feel like a schmuck, but I mean, you also do want to see Lynn. It was, it was Lynn's last month or it was like, I mean, we were like,
1: I was there for his last month too.
0: Really? You'd know if you were at our show because Hillary and Bill Clinton were there. (laughs) Like it was fucking nuts.
1: I get out. I believe I was at that show. Oh, my God. I'm almost positive that I was at that show. Oh, my God. Was, um, had Jonathan Groff left yet? I don't think so. Uh, maybe I wasn't at that show. I mean, there was some, there was a very big, because I remember Secret Service being everywhere. There was a very big...
0: If you were at the show... I could tell you where Hillary and Bill were seated because we were sort of in the, uh, if you're on stage, we were to your left in the back and they were in better seats in the pit to the right. So they were sort of near an exit and they did like a stand up and a wave and everyone went nuts.
1: Yes. I'm almost positive I was at that show. I'm almost positive. That's crazy. And the only reason I'm getting confused is I've been at three shows that the Clintons have been at.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they have a file on you. They're worried they, about they you are. tracking the Clintons. <laughs> I mean, I was just like,
1: I can't remember if they came to Book of Mormon. They, they may have, I, I don't, but they probably didn't want to be seen there. But.
0: Forgive me for, I mean, that had to happen. I, I couldn't be more interested. I've never talked to uh, a Broadway actor like that. I'm interested in several topics and you can take your pick. I'm, I couldn't be more interested in how you find it, like doing it over and over. I think we have that in common. Sometimes stand-ups do three shows and you're just talking for an hour, which, by the way, I'm sure there's people from where you're from that are like, you're just singing and dancing around f- like for an hour, like, get over yourself. But I'm like, there's a toll. You're like leaving a little piece of yourself every it, time.
1: It, it is, that is the best representation of... Uh, what it takes to get through a, a, a show like Book of Mormon on a daily basis. There's a toll. You know, my, my voice coach once said to me that the hardest part about doing a Broadway show is staying well enough to do a Broadway show. I, wow. I was that entire year on drips, on uh, steroids, on antibiotics, on everything um, to be able to go to the theater and just get through mm. uh, one performance at a time, um, I had, you know, just had a baby. I didn't; my wife did, but I had, um, you know, our, our baby was three months old when they came to New York to join me. And so, like,
0: wow, I would, y-
1: you have, I'm sure, as you do after you do stand up, you ha- you get this, you know, boost of adrenaline, and then after. you you can't go to bed. So you go out, you have drinks, you have food, you, you, you know, you're, you're usually out with your guests who have come to see the show. And by the time you get home, it's 2 AM. And then you got to get up the next morning and do your, you know, duties as a parent. And then you're back in the theater on a Saturday at like 1 PM. And you, you kind of looking to the barrel of that gun where you've got two shows back to back. And then another two shows on Sunday, and a lot of times it really did take a mental toll because I was just like, I don't want to be here. I don't like, I feel trapped. You know um, it's why I ultimately left when I did. Cause I was like, if I'm not enjoying this anymore then the audience will see through that and they won't enjoy it. And, and yeah. you know, people were, were bums cause they're like, well, you've only been doing it uh, less than a year and a half. But at that point, a year and a half was like more than I had bargained for.
0: I can't, I, you couldn't find a safer place to complain about that. I mean, not even complain, just be honest about that. Because it's like, I can't see a Broadway show. We just saw Helltown. We saw a bunch of stuff uh, before the pandemic. And the whole show, I'm just going, you do this again? Like, if we're seeing a matinee, I'm like,
1: you're going to hate Hades- that note again? Hadestown, right? Hades-town. Oh, I'm sorry, Hadestown. Although I love the name Helltown. Like, I think that that's. <gasps> Ah, That's what I'm going to start calling Hades, on, You know, yes. help him. Um, I, I, <laughs> definitely, I definitely think that actors generally have no fucking right to complain about anything because we're the most spoiled uh, vocation there is. But uh, on the scale of what it takes to be an actor, you try doing a year and a half on stage, and then and then you can complain slightly because yeah, yeah. It, it is. And by the way, I had the easiest job. The the ensemble are the true heroes, and the ensemble of Book of Mormon, um, much like the ensemble of Hamilton, they are the living, breathing essence of the show. They they yeah. are the ones who are on stage every minute giving you everything so that it looks like one uh cohesive i was gonna you say know. they're the
0: body they're the
1: body they're the body, they're yeah. the body. and so I, I really was um i really was exhausted I, like i i get exhausted thinking about it
0: me too I, I think it's funny i think we both because you brought me back to green rooms i have like a vocal steamer i know it sounds crazy but i used to see yeah. a, a singing coach Because I was like, I have a joke that goes like this. You would cry and you would beg and, and he was like, "Oh, you're pinched and you're you're doing it all wrong yeah. and i I couldn't do it i by the last show it'd be like you like i couldn't i couldn't <laughs> i am just saying this to build the bridge between us, although I feel like we're already holding hands and we have a pin <laughs> lovely but I'm just saying like it's it's the same it's just another faction it's another I what family. i
1: was always it's what I was always uh, amazed by you know with people like Sam Kinison It's like if you don't have." Your voice, you don't have your jokes because you're like, you know, you look at guys like Lewis Black. His voice, it, 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 that yeah. rage, is the joke. Yeah. So you, you really do need to keep that that tool healthy and and uh, well managed, or you can't get through it. And there were many days where I had to call out because thank God I had a great understudy. I I just could not. I couldn't. I had no vocalization.
0: They, you know, the actor's nightmare is often forgetting a line or something. But that, Ooh. to me, is the actor's nightmare. I mean, uh, what you just described being like, I literally can't. I'm waiting for my body. And you know the mystery of your body. Like, wh- is there something psychosomatic? Am I blocked right. somehow? If I, if I could meditate or, or be with my kids or be with my wife, it, it, like, do I just need a sandwich? Like, it, like, you have to become a master of your inner yeah. world. Or you're dead. Josh, Gad there,
1: two, there. Oh, go on.
0: I just said Josh Sh- Gad is
1: drinking. <laughs> no, your your audience could hear your audience could hear the, the dulcet tones of water going down my throat. <laughs> I um, I'll tell you two actors' nightmare stories that happened during Book of Mormon. Oh one, no! Oh was no! In the middle of a show one night, and I, I the most embarrassing part about this is literally the least physical moment I have in the show. I'm standing (laughs) and I'm getting ready to do You're Making Things Up Again, Arnold. And I I literally say, I just told a lie. Uh and I am doing this and I literally slightly turn and all of a sudden my back completely seizes to the point that I thought I was paralyzed. And No wait. So So you feel a sharp pain I feel a sharp pain and it's like the most intense pain I've ever had. I would later find out that it was a a very bad pinched nerve, but just at the wrong time in the wrong place. So I got through the song without being able to move my body, got off stage, looked at the stage manager and said, you need to tell my understudy. He's got to do the rest of the show. So yeah, middle of the fucking show one. Second. That no, we, we, that is
0: he did he you, the under yeah. what how what happened when he came out?
1: Is there a moment? Is there a he, special lighting cue that you can go? Something happened. They it was the quick it was the quickest change I've ever seen in my life. They did stop the show briefly, uh, but he came out and did they make an over. announcement? They made an announcement. People were very confused. They thought it was like part of the show. Ah, uh, of course, just a very weird part of the show. So that was one. So
0: So, wait, wait, I'm sorry, Josh. I'm going to keep milking the story. Oh, you love it. You're paralyzed. I hate it and I love it. And I am going to dream about it tonight. So you can't move. Did you just No, I just mean I'm going to have actors
1: nightmares. Oh yeah. I was like, I'm going to dream about Josh being paralyzed.
0: (laughs) No, if I talk about dropping a line, I'll dream about it that night. It's just that close to my, my subconscious Uh, goes, oh, I forgot. We could give him that horrible dream. So if you can't move, I'm assuming your character was very physical and you just stood there. Were there other, were there people in the ensemble that were like over, I'm joking, but over here to like catch you for your leap and they're just standing there?
1: Well, thank goodness that song requires the least physicality. And I didn't, I didn't have to. Dance much? I had to walk, and I and I just looked like Quasimodo, just like <laughs> hunching around the oh stage. God. And like they, they all looked at me like, what the "Fuck is wrong with you?" And it was weird. I...
0: I just, I, the only way I can relate to that is Val was there. I was doing a show at the Gotham in New York and I had food poisoning and I was hosting. So literally in between little sets, I would just go and vomit and diarrhea like crazy. And only at the end of the show was, I was like, could you guys, I've been dying this whole time and like wondered, I took a poll if they could tell. It was like a really, I wonder if people could tell that you were like, somebody with a pinch nerve experience in the, in the crowd was like. He's one of us. I know yeah, what's he's going on.
1: That guy's. That guy's got a pinched nerve. Uh, <laughs> oh my no, god! No, I, 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 definitely could tell that the energy I was putting out was recognizable to the audiences. Oh my right. god! Were then you back the I, next day? I was. I was back a few days later. It Wasn't the next day. Wow. It wasn't the next day. Uh, and I also had the shits one night in the middle of a show. That was another fucking. Oh my god! the shits you don't want to have the shits in the middle of in the middle of having to wear uh, all white pajamas which is exactly <laughs> when uh, when it happened so i uh, i so that was those were both traumatic but the most traumatic was and i've told this story many times so i'll keep it i'll, I'll keep it contained but i was notably um, Disturbed by uh, a a very well known personality who I thought whose behavior fucking sucked in in the front and then like the front three rows, and it was so distracting and I was like I was getting like pissed to the point where I was like you know what fuck it I'm gonna call him out in the show like oh I'm just gonna I'm gonna God. like I'm gonna I'm gonna break with you know my 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 character and just like improv something, and then I was like. Eh, be the better man. Don't, don't do it. Like people won't even understand what you're saying because only I can see why this guy being a piece of shit. So I have this thought, Pete, and then I have no other thought. Meaning the next line that sets up a song that can only be set up with this line goes out of my brain. Not only does the line go out of my brain, the English fucking language bleeds from my brain. I am standing on the stage in silence. The composer, not the composer, the music conductor, Stephen Arimus, is shouting to me the line. But all I hear is like this weird tinnitus. So I hear... (laughs) The stage manager is off the stage shouting the line. I can't hear it. I, I pride myself on being really good at improv. I came up with nothing for 20 seconds before having this gem come to the tip of my tongue and out my mouth before I could stop it. What the fuck am I supposed to say? That is what I said out loud.
0: That's how I felt when I said, oh, my God, that is how oh. I felt. That was the feeling. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Oh, who, you don't tell who the person was? I can't believe Lindsay no, Lohan they, was in the uh, all,
1: all, I, all I've ever said is they were in the cast of Entourage. No way. Yeah. Yeah, was, I was not happy. I was not a happy camper. I was really pissed. I was really pissed.
0: I uh yeah, yep, that's insane. I I can relate because there I told the story on Conan uh about Malia Obama was in the front, but I didn't know it was her. And she was just whispering with her friend the whole show. And I just told her I was I, I actually was very, very nice about it. I sort of jazzed the story up when I told it on Conan. The truth was I treated her like I treat all distractions, which is kindly, because that's honestly that's my persona. I'm not Sam Kinnison. Right. So I was just like, "What's going on?" And I knew, <laughs> I knew only I could see them. I just saw two young girls in the front row that were literally whispering, like, like, like anime characters, like these, or, or Chaplin, like a silent. <laughs> movie. I'm telling you, they weren't whispering the way you whisper at a show. They were putting their hands up to their face, whispering, and then it was like dig, pantomime whisper. like a pantomime whisper, like, like a bad yeah. Buster Keaton movie and only I can see it and the energy that made me into a comedian which is um attractive girls whispering and laughing at me is happening so I'm like in this hell I'm literally like I all of my power is drained I can't they're not being horrible so it's exactly like you it's like I don't want to like ruin the show. But I did eventually have to be like, can you please be quiet? Please be quiet. And then of course it's Malia Obama, which by the way, because the story, it got like picked up and people were like, comedian is tells this person to shut up and all this stuff. There was no bad blood. She held up the, the Bieber heart symbol. When I got off stage, (laughs) I said, I love you guys. Even you guys, because we did have like a moment where I was like, what is going on? And then afterwards they're like, that was Malia Obama. And I'm like,
1: oh no, like, oh no. So which now is- you're on her dad's
0: shit list. I mean, that's, it's it was concerning that I'm like, if Obama's going to know who I am, I don't want it be, to be for that reason. You know what I mean? <laughs> especially, especially when you're like, Mr. Obama, sir, I have no, Mr. President, I have nothing but respect. And I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> but that's why the audience was weird, which leads me back to you. There ha- that has to change the energy. If the Clintons are at Book of Mormon, and this is where I don't want to be too morning radio. I'm sure you got asked this all the time. But I am interested in, I did a show recently and Lance Bass was in the front row. And I'm just like, I can't help but go like a little bit out of myself and go like, well, this is, do I have any jokes about space? Like, what do, what do I do? I mean, well, but also for the whole- audience.
1: There was a whole other... So, so there there were two things that were really fascinating about Book of Mormon. One is the the n- high-profile high nature of so much of the audience, especially in that first year. I mean, every night it was literally like the fucking Grammys or the Oscars. Like you would look out in the audience and see Bruce Springsteen sitting a few <laughs> seats away from like Robin Williams sitting a few oh. seats away from like... Uh, Newt Gingrich or uh, Tom Hanks or I mean the craziest just like everybody and and as random as like Newt Gingrich or Tom Hanks like it was just yeah. a random assortment yeah. of people every single night Oprah Winfrey
0: that's what Lance so, Bass is it's not just the celebrity it's like what is this a dream like how did I would have never even surreal. thought of Lance Bass and
1: there he is so real yeah so you would have that but then on top of that because of the nature of what Trey and Matt do and because of the nature of the show, you would have an added element to it, which was was just fucking surreal, Mm -hmm. which was there are quite a few references in the show to actual people. I say, I am Africa, just like Bono. I am Africa. So imagine walking out and seeing Bono looking back. And, like, like, it's his first time seeing the show, so, like, must he think I'm seeing this line because he's in the audience? No, I'm not. There was another night where... my God! I would change up uh, Nabalungi's name every night. So, like, one night I would call her Neutrogena. One night I would call her... um, whatever it was and and uh there was one night where i randomly came out and and because i, I just do like bullshit names i like called them nakatomi plaza and i walked off the stage and, and my buddy goes oh my god he must love that and i go who, who must love that he goes well, he goes no, no no didn't you do that for him i go who he goes helen rickman's in the audience I go, are you fucking kidding me? Like, and I still oh! I had no idea that Alan Rigman was in the audience. So it was always like wow. just the random luck of the draw where you would get like these people who were. That just was fun.
0: very funny, Mr. God.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I tried. Is, I tried. <laughs> that is actually <laughs> one of the best I've heard. <laughs> that is really good. I'm actually. I'm actually really upset because I've been trying to do it for my daughters because I read the Harry Potter books. Oh but my! that's God. like I should just call you every time I get the snake.
0: I would happily call it That
1: like slow, messed
0: up. That was very good, messed <laughs> We just watched. Is it Sense and Sensibility? And I was like. Did they really talk that way? Like, have you watched a, a, a Jane Austen movie recently? Like, like no, like, it would be two characters in the room, everyone else left, and they're still like, when I behold your vision. I'm just like, really? Like, when everybody's gone, they don't just go like, Jesus Christ, this bonnet. What is up with this?
1: Your Rickman is just delicious. Wow. Wow. Thank you. That's really good. I'm always, (laughs) always, I find a good impression to be worth, like, worth its salt in the world. Like, a good impression will get you anything.
0: Well, that's our love of showbiz. You know, I think it's because it's like the cleanest, it's like finding, if somebody has a great impression, anyone can appreciate it. It's like a song. You know, we've talked about that before. A joke is sort of subjective. This is why I think impressionists sometimes don't get respect in the same way that uh, guitar comics might not get respect. In the same way, they might be geniuses, but it's because it's so for everybody. It offends the the individualist of the comedian. The comedian wants to be like, some people don't get me, but an impressionist for everybody. I was actually thinking about Craig, Craig Gass, I think his name does an incredible Kinison actually. And when you mentioned it, I always think of Craig Gass. He did really? a Kinison that would sound like he was in the room and he had the, yell I was just and watching.
1: Everything. There was a, there was a guy who did. you know, I find Harrison Ford to be a, a, a very tough one. Uh, randomly Jake Gyllenhaal does a really good Harrison Ford impression <laughs> uh, from, from the fugitive. But I, there was a guy on Twitter the other day who's doing the most insane Harrison Ford impression. I've never seen anything like that. Really good. I always love like those random ones. Those like you can like I do. I do a Philip Seymour Hoffman. which is which is you know sadly uh, not useful anymore. But it it was uh, he was one of my idols, and of course, I you know that that is one that is like so hyper specific that it feels. Like it feels fun to play with those that that like nobody really does, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're just on the outskirts.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we tried. Uh, my friend Josh Rubin does um, Phil Hoffman too, and, and we would we would try. I forget. Like he would do the breathing. You ever go the impressionist that even gets the like?
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Like he'd get the. It was from Happiness. Have you seen the movie yeah. Happiness? Oh, I'm assuming. My God, of course. Yeah, it's of incredible. Course.
1: I do for Mission Impossible 3. I do. You, you have a wife, Ethan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that boy, is it. Poor girlfriend. I'm going to hurt her. Oh, my God. Right? It's like that. I'm going to
0: hurt her. I'm going to hurt you. That's an A plus. That's like, a that's guy, like, that's that's like a but that's
1: but, that's, but, but it's. You mean, what can do you
0: do? It. I mean, like, I, I suppose maybe this is just because I love comedy so much. I'm like, it is a way to sort of keep... keep The memory alive? Keep, keep, keep the guy. It sounds cheesy, but I'm like, he's so great. It's a way to keep enjoying... He
1: comedy. came to my last ever show of Book of Mormon. My last performance ever. Wow, wow. Yeah, it was really magical.
0: Did was, he uh, come back?
1: He did. He he came up to me after and he goes, uh, uh, we're going to work together one day. You're You're really oh Mm -hmm. wow nothing nothing fucking more
0: when josh rubin met him i think somebody had josh do his impression for him and and phil went well done well done (laughs) which has now become our impression of him sort of not a dismissive but like he didn't necessarily want to hang out with the guy that does the impression of him
1: well done Well done. Well done. (laughs) Did Bono come back? Bono, I can't remember if Bono came back. I'll tell you he did come back, which was surreal, was I hear this voice say, hey, you. Hey, you got a sick voice, man. And I turn around, and it's Bruce fucking Springsteen.
0: Oh, my God. And I
1: was like, oh, my God, I don't even understand.
0: That's incredible. Well, that that's, like, let's talk a little bit about your voice because it's like, I see you as one of my species because I'm like, that's an improviser. That's a comedian. But then I, again, forgive me, Frozen is just constantly on. And I'm, and we love the summer song. It's so funny. We actually just watched Frozen for the first time. And Val and I, that's my wife, we were just like, this is like legit it reminded us of Book of Mormon, like
1: a good musical, like a really... oh, well, legit... say but Bobby Lopez, who wrote the music to Book of Mormon. No that.
0: kidding. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. And then, and then there you are, the compliment I gave you earlier, you're elevating it. You're making it funny with... It, there's a way that it's funnier that you're singing it so well. I don't know how to explain it, but it's like... It's funny. I guess it's the contradiction. It's like, it's a snowman. It's a kid's movie. It's, it's silly. And then you're like nailing it and you're like, it just delights us. Like good singing delights us. We can't help it.
1: Well, I was, I was, um, really sort of like moved to another level of existence. When I first saw, uh, Robin Williams performance in Aladdin, uh, um, you know, uh, I was, about 11 years old 10 or 11 years old and i and i saw that movie for the first time and i was just like fuck you can do that
0: it's the same thing it's somebody that's like and and he elevated it too i believe there was a lawsuit because he he rightfully deserved writing credit because he riffed so much of it but that's you add that energy which is like i i see what you've done here but not only are you going to improvise and add but it's like i'm gonna put a, an amount of wind and I can't, I don't know the language. I'm just saying like, what what is the word? Is it Vibrato? There's something happening where yeah. you're like, I'm going to do this. I'm not just saying this because you brought it up. Like Robin Williams would do if he had that voice, if he was singing. He's like, I'm going to put 100% into this. And there's something funny about it. Like, it's not just excellent. <laughs> it is excellent. But there's also yeah. something where you're like, it's funnier, like, with stand-up, committing is funny. And I think right. with musical theater, committing is funny. funny. And when it, When I've watched everything you do, in fact, it, I know you believe me, but it's on my notepad here to ask you about commitment. If you could just talk about the importance of finding your unembarrassed self that can be like, right. in summer, like, that's a guy. I'm going like, I know where he is. He's not in a magical forest. Those actors aren't there. He's finding it. He's imagining, unless I'm wrong, he's imagining a time where this will play in a theater and it will destroy. But that's something you got to dig into yourself and find.
1: Well, yeah, I'll give you, I appreciate all of that. That is all very, very generous and kind of you. Uh, uh, you know, w- what is? what was so clear to me about the making of Frozen, uh, for example, was that, It really was a collaboration and and Jennifer Lee and Chris Buck and and our composers, uh, Kristen and Bobby, um, they wanted, they wanted what, you know, what I brought, they would, they wanted me to, to play and fuck around. And that's great. And these, these words like naivete and positivity and like, you know, childlike wonderment were sort of the, the jumping off points. So you have no choice but to commit. Yeah. Cuz if it, it's it's right it's like it's like that that tray and that story that I told you. It's like if you don't go all in, then the audience will sort of be like, well, where am I supposed to meet you? That's right. You? Um, and
0: that that's what happens as parents watching the movie. We also just would have seen the movie if we whatever as grown-ups see those movies too. But like it's it's alluring. It pulls you in. If if that person's committing that hard, you can't help the spell this cast and you're sucked in that much deeper as opposed right. to the the fourth time you saw the producers and understandably they they couldn't find it you're giving it and i have to imagine in a film you know you only have to nail it one time
1: <laughs> yeah and and that and that's the other thing is like it, you really do get a couple of slices at, at the at the cake and and you know the sequel was even more fun because i knew what i could get away with and i knew that i could really sort of up the ante and, and mess around and do even crazier shit that would somehow find its way um, yeah. Yeah, on onto the screen. I'm loving that Ansel Adams gallery picture behind you, even though you have nothing to do with it since it's an Airbnb. I know
0: that feels very um, transcendentalist. Remember when like America was like a frontier and all the
1: paintings. I'm reading a great book right now. I'm reading an amazing book called the overstory. Uh, it won the Pulitzer last year and it's, and it's all about, if it, it's it, People joke around that it's the tree book, but it really is breathtaking. It's like this 500-page masterpiece um, sort of about our relationship with trees told through the story of this uh, group of people all kind of smashing into um, each other's lives with the purpose of saving these uh, incredible trees that are the lifeblood of the world. Yeah. So it's really uh, amazing.
0: That's that is really interesting. It's one of those things that you don't necessarily know. It is fascinating. It's a was, tough
1: pitch. It's a yeah, tough pitch it's a to tough be pitch. like, read a five hundred page book about trees, but I'm also the guy who would never read a five hundred page book about trees and am loving it.
0: And it's called oh, the over the overstory. The overstory. I did yeah, you think the overstory. Because the transcendental transcendentalists had that term the over soul. It's not
1: because of that. No. No, no, no. It's it's I, it's uh, uh, an understory is like the, the the part of the tree that basically I, I think I'm I I think this is correct is like the canopy. Mm. Um and, and so it's a, I think it's a play on those words. It's Richard Powers is the author and it's uh oh. it's brilliant. I got to
0: check it out. The the thing that stuck with me about those paintings and about that photograph that you're seeing behind me is that it, it dwarfs you. So, like you, the spectator feel very small, and and before we sort of felt like we had dominion over nature, it showed up in the early art of the of of early America, where it's like all the paintings were like, "Holy shit, that's gonna fucking eat!" Yeah, me. yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I, by the way, like I wish we still had, like, you know, human nature is just to consume everything and to create uh, products out of it for. Uh, the purposes of, you know, capital gain. But to me, there is just something so heartbreaking about like even now just seeing the entire fucking Amazon rainforest uh, burned down and, and taken for exploitation when we depend on the resources. We depend on the, literally the oxygen in order to breathe in this world. I was going to do uh, a stand
0: up bit about that, but it was too sad.
1: It, it's almost,
0: it's one of those things that bums people out. It's hard to convert somebody. You end up kind of preaching to the choir, but it's like, if you think of the earth as a body, you have to imagine little bulldozers going and taking your lungs to build a shopping mall on your ass. Like, it doesn't make any sense, like, <laughs> it's your air. It makes yeah. no sense. It's really, 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 really insane what we're doing. We're talking about um, your voice though, and where music comes in. And I'd actually love to take you back to when it might've been harder to commit. Again, I feel like we had similar styles of childhood. I'm basing that on nothing except who we are now. And I'm wondering what that brings to mind when you were young and you first started singing. Because like, this is a five second story, but like I remember, being in a gospel choir in college and someone was like, just sing loud. They're like, it'll help because we were all so embarrassed. So we were like, we were tenors. So we're trying to hit these notes. And really what loud means is like, put some wind into it, put some commitment into it. So can you take me to the time where you had to learn? Don't be embarrassed. It's more embarrassing to be embarrassed and, and learn some showmanship learned what you're so good
1: at now. I was, uh, I was about six or seven years old when my parents got divorced and, and I was like, you know, sort of that cliche kid who was like trying to find a method to the madness of life by like making my, my mom, uh, laugh and Mm. bring her joy. And, um, she, knew that I loved performing and she actually enrolled me in, in a program called the Hollywood Playhouse of Performing Arts. And I did it with, uh, uh, I don't know if you know Randy Rainbow, who's uh, made a name for himself doing these incredible parody uh, music uh, spoofs on, on social media that are just next level funny. But Randy and I and, and my, my best friend, Seth Gable, we all went to this children's theater in, in Hollywood. And, and that was my first foray into the musical theater. And I started working with a, uh, a teacher named Jean Putnam. And Jean was this amazing singing teacher who identified a voice that she wanted to craft and mold. Unfortunately, she wanted to craft and mold it to be operatic. And so she started giving me like these Italian arias, um, <laughs> you know, like Caro mio ben and things like that, that I was like, I. I like they're great, but I don't really want to sing opera and She identified this voice that was like you know powerful and big and and did these things, so my training was so counterproductive to what I would ultimately end up doing, but in a way is also the reason that I sing the way I sing, and why what you hear is this crazy commitment because when you're trained in opera, yeah it, you can't <laughs> you can't do anything but commit right yeah, you can't yeah. like
0: it does sound you know, operatic. What? when it, the line that we love in summer that sounds pavarotic
1: it's pavarotic <laughs> and and that is that is both my desire to comedically uh you know hit hit that moment the way that Bobby and Kristen imagined it being hit But also the reason that I was cast in it is because Bobby and Kristen know that I do that, right? So Mm -hmm. it's sort of chicken and egg thing.
0: That's really funny. And when you started performing as a young person, was there any getting over a hump of like, this is corny? Like we were
1: kids. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I was bullied. I was like, you know, but I loved it. I loved it and I didn't really give a shit what people thought. You loved being bullied? You loved music? No, I loved being bullied. The music was just the icing on the cake, but being bullied was just my yes. I fucking love music. He's like, you know what? I want today a couple of thugs to shit talk me. No, no, I, 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 I definitely got bullied, but I, you know, I loved. I loved the escapism of being able to pretend to be other people, especially at a time in my life when you know it was I was sort of going through a, a rough patch. Both of my brothers, who were older than me, moved out, went to college. I was, you know, I had lost that unit called my parents that I thought would forever be in the picture. So it was sort of like me looking for an outlet, which um, which came in the form of performing.
0: That's what it is. I, I again. I had a confirmation bias, but I'm like, I had a tumultuous parent situation. My brother didn't move out, but like, I would say this, if he was in the room, we sort of parted ways. Like that was our strategy. Really? Our coping strategy. I don't mean it was like, um, we didn't decide, but he was sort of like, I'm going to do my own thing to get through this. And I sort of had to do my own thing to get through it. And when what you brought to mind was, and sometimes I think about this, I was like, I was sort of unbearable as a kid, meaning I was one of those, I'm a lot. Like I I wanted to perform and joke and like clown around constantly. And And when I got pushed to improv, like that was the first thing when we learned improv at camp. I was like, come again? Like yeah. the, fir- the first time I played freeze, I I'm sure I w- like, I'd get freezed out and I'd be in the next, I'd be in a minute and a half later. Like I just couldn't, it was an insatiable desire, but all of that energy came from like, a I I wanted some, something that I could control. I'm not trying to make this too like deep or sappy or Charlie Rosy, but it's like the world is sort of like strange. Um, I would I would call the the tone in my house inconsistent. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right right. Yeah.
0: Me, meaning like I didn't know would this behavior lead to this or lead to that. Frankly, I still feel that way when I call home. I'm like which which combination of their energy and their and as individuals their energies am I going to get? I don't know which one. And to this day, Josh, the only way that I can have a easy Um, shame-free, not uncomfortable dinner with my folks is if Pete puts on his clown makeup. I'm 41 years old. I still have to go the whole meal. And I've said this a million on this podcast. I'll do an impression of my dad the whole meal. Like I've said where I'm like, I don't even know if my parents know that I don't have a Boston accent because they've never once been like, are you doing a character but the, <laughs> the whole time? I'm like, my friend Johnny B is Johnny owes me four grand. I'm just doing it to keep the plate spinning because I'm like, we don't get, and I'll say this to them. I'm like, we don't get along. If we start talking, this gets weird. I'm, the waiter comes by and I go, these are my parents. They're the worst. Don't listen to anything. say. <laughs> And this is also true. They're very good tippers. Just like whatever they say, laugh. And, and we'll, we'll get through this together. My therapist would be like, he'd be pushing me to like authenticity. But like for lack of a, maybe I'm just lazy, but I'm like, I've tried authenticity. I've tried to be like, let's be real. Like, can we talk about our feelings and stuff? I always go back. And you
1: past that point. Right.
0: I'm, I just go, fuck it. I, I don't see them that often. I'm just going to do Charmy Joni bits the whole time. And, and roast them, basically. They love the attention of being roasted and made fun of. And and my mom complains about my dad. And I'm like, you love it. You love being <laughs> miserable. You love hating him. You're never going to leave each other. You guys love this weird whirlpool she, that you've
1: created. Does she laugh at your... Um at your impressions in like a we're in on the joke together or is she more like
0: uh it's that's such a great question i have i'm totally by the way i'm gonna eat you while you're talking <laughs> i i'm the podcast host that gets shit for talking I too le- much, yeah
1: no, no 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 but it gives you I a mean, window yeah. yeah but i'm like leaning in and eating at the same time because i'm <laughs> actually very interested in this <laughs> i just I'm,
0: I don't know because when it comes to things that I do to be funny on purpose like they've come to see me do stand up and stuff um, I guess there is a wounded child in here that says they don't know my bits like if you loved a bit of mine and went up to my father and was like Pierce get beers or something that people he'd have no fucking idea what they were talking about oh my god no idea so they don't watch your specials? I think they do, but they watch it from a place of like, what, what is this guy? Right. (laughs) Right. And I want to put this back to you. They've had a hard time and, and I kind of give them grief a lot, but I, I empathize. I sympathize. They've had a hard time making sense of what it is I do. And I'd love for you to talk, if it's not about your parents, your friends, you have a very, very wonderful and and unique life. Can your mom make sense of it now? Can your friends make sense of it now? Do you have people that are like, dad's gone Hollywood. I called him and he told me he couldn't talk. What a piece of shit.
1: I I have those. (laughs) I, I have, I definitely have those. I have a very, um, I actually have an opposite, um, uh, relationship with, with in particular, my mom, who, who, as I told you before, could not be more supportive, has literally been my biggest fan. My biggest, um, supporter has pushed me to not quit. And really, um, you know, when she was financially strapped, put me through college as a single mother, um, and a, and a stepdad who's incredibly supportive. I have, uh, a less frequent relationship with my biological dad, who I speak to occasionally, but not very often. And, and you know, for me, it's more the sort of friends who I grew up with and some of them are just – some of them just want me to be the same guy I was and and don't understand that I, I, I'm i just not. Like I have – you know, there's just – I have been, that.
0: That's what I have with my mother. She's like, I want yeah. you to be who you used to be. And I, uh, there's a great, I, I wonder if you'll get any juice out of this. Jay-Z gave an interview where he's like, people from my past are like, you've changed. And he's like, hell yeah, I've changed. You think I did all that work to stay the same? Right. And it was like, oh, yes, that, that, that. I love that. That's you mean, exactly right. Yeah. I'm sorry, mom. You mean I have boundaries? You Like, I, I understand, like... <laughs> what makes me uncomfortable and I tell you or whatever it might be like that. That was a very helpful quote for me.
1: that That's brilliant. And and I think that that's spot on. And I think that the people who, um, the people who know me the best know that actually I'm the same person I've always been. Uh, but I've, I've grown. I haven't changed. I've grown. And those people are still my best friends who have grown with me. Mm. You know, but my four closest friends are guys I've known basically since elementary school.
0: Wow. What is that so, like? I mean, it, it, I, I, I'm not digging for shit. I'm actually digging for gold. I'd love to know how they've rolled with you. You you joked about the guy from Entourage in the front. I mean, it's hard to not go into that. I have, I, I've interviewed people where I'm like, oh, no, you have like an unhealthy solar system. Like everybody around you is just sort of like... No, it's
1: the opposite. So, like my my best friend, my my best friends in the world are like guys like like my friend Seth Gable, who I got into acting, who now lives, uh, you know, in Connecticut, is married to Bryce Dallas Howard, and and they have, you know, the the greatest hat on their shoulders. And and he and I make each other laugh more than any human beings on earth. My friend David Lang, who is a sports producer in in South Florida now. My buddy, Sam Weitzner, who's a teacher in Orlando. My buddy, Matt Swerdlow, who's a radiologist in in Orlando. And, and my other buddy, Brett Horgan, who's a radiologist in in Atlanta. These, these are guys who I've known since I was a, a, a little kid. Why um, all the radiology? I know. Fucking radiologists. It's a, it's a, weird, it's a weird thing that they're just like let's let's pursue our one of them had that idea (laughs) and
0: then the others were like yeah radiology i oh my god that's hilarious but they 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 still see you and they can still connect to that place
1: always and 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 none of them live in la like that's the craziest part is like my best friends don't even live in la but yeah we all had similar hardships we all had similar trajectories we all had similar pain We all had similar, you know, upbringings and also uh, similar journeys to where we are now. And so we all sort of have a common appreciation for life and for the things that make us who we are and and our philosophies are all aligned. But, you know, there's also a whole group of people that I grew up with in South Florida that I just don't really even care to keep in touch with anymore just because we've we've diverged. We've gone... You know, our separate ways, and there and there's no there's no reason to 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 sort of be connected because we we don't necessarily have the same uh, desires, the same um, philosophies.
0: I have that with my brother now. Now in my forties, my brother is like just a precious jewel of a relationship. Where I'm like, the reason I'm telling you this is I'm wondering if that group of five guys, you one of them you know, it's sort of like army friends or whatever. Do you feel like you got out of something and now that gives you an appreciation?
1: I, I, in many ways, yeah. And that something was was South Florida, which was, you know, it's a great place. My whole family still lives in Florida, um, including my brothers who I'm incredibly close to. Um, but like, I, I just grew past that. Like I just grew past the narrow-mindedness of a lot of the like, you know, people that I grew up with. And, and, and I, I think we all sort of feel that we all sort of share that philosophy. Mm. Um, We've also had to all endure the pain of seeing the Miami dolphins lose our entire (laughs) life. So, so there's that. And, and I think that when you have kids, it, it, it also brings you closer because you're, you all have this, Very similar uh, path and this similar arc.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's disturbingly true. Val and I, our baby is only she's almost two, but like we're like, oh my god, it's true. Seinfeld's latest special, he had this great joke about. He was like, when I was single, I'd look at married people with kids, and I'm like, what the hell are they doing? And now that I'm a a married person with kids, I look at single people going like, what the hell are they doing? (laughs) I'm just like. I don't know how to explain it other than, like, I'm just another person to, to figure out through experience that, like, my desire to, like, dumpling hop. Like, let's go find the perfect dumpling. I'm just right. like, what? And and right. that used to be my life. I Like you, I'd be the adrenalized. We just did a bunch of shows. Let's go out. We'll have drinks. We'll we'll end up in some weird bar in New York that used to be haunted. And now everybody's wearing a bikini, men and women, everyone's, <laughs> everyone's in a bikini. It doesn't matter your gender. And and then a show, there's a show where a woman uh, smokes out of her butthole or something. And we're all just uh, yeah, like, no. life, life is crazy. And now... Val and I are like,
1: by the way, I've also been to the box and I love
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's what it was. The box where we shot an episode of crashing at the box. And that was (laughs) when I was pretending to be a guy that would do that. But I was a married guy and I, I had, it really brought it into my face. I was like, this used to be what life was. That's not to say that I don't see that as valuable and good, but like, the values, the conversations that we want to have. Let's just put it this way: when I found out you had daughters, I was like, "Oh, fucking a!" Like I get so excited to talk to another dad um, in a way that I never
1: expected. I agree. It's it's it gives you common perspective, and and you know I, I now we're we're way past uh, two. We're, I have a six year old and a and a, and a nine year old, and it's been fucking hard, you know, this whole experience of, of uh, COVID. That's a, that's and That's a rough age. It, it's a rough age because they are old enough to understand what's been taken away from them
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, socially, educationally, um, n- the normalcy of it. And that's been really hard. But at the same time, there's been a really interesting thing to happen, which is my kids have painted my perspective, whereas I went into this feeling absolute hopelessness and fear and 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 uh, an absolute kind of like uh, helplessness, and they've given me the hope they've given me the the sort of uh glasses half full perspective that mm. i'm usually trying to provide other people mm. and i and I, I that's what I find really incredible is is that even at such a young age kids are capable of seeing the world through a different prism that can, can make you understand that maybe you're the one missing the mark.
0: That's the whole thing. I just did, Oh, I'm forgetting. It's, it's a Jesuit podcast. And um, I was that morning, the Jesuit it's, it's a type of Catholicism. I I
1: You know why I know Jesuit? Because my buddy so desperately wanted to go to Georgetown university and he was so pissed. He didn't get in because he wasn't a Jesuit.
0: Oh, my God. Wait, they didn't accept him because he wasn't a Jesuit?
1: Oh. No, of course not. Of course not. And he ended up going to fucking Harvard. But he was like, I'm not going to get in because he just believed. He that's in. so in. funny. I'm like, that's so crazy.
0: I love that. The stories that we tell ourselves. I was on a walk. So Lila is the age where you can just go out. I, you know, I got a, a mask on and, and it's early. She gets up at like 5.30. We get up and we just go for a walk around the block. And in my head, this is just a scene through her eyes kind of story. I was like, if we walk this way and then make a left and then another left, we'll be back home. Like, we'll get a walk. We'll see some nature, but we'll get back home. Like around the time we right. want to get back home before we're too hot, before we're too hungry, whatever it might be. And she keeps going the wrong way, and I'm putting that in quotes because it was just—it's a ver- the story is over. By the way, I kept going like, "No, this way, Lee, this way," and she kept going this way, and then I was like, <laughs> "So it, it actually applies the stories we tell ourselves." I was telling myself a story of what should have been happening. We should be walking this way, and and that story not happening was what was causing me suffering. This right. is Buddhism. This is mindfulness. This is contemplative practice, yeah. right in action. And this is why I think seeing through your child's eyes, as I was doing with her on the beach this morning, I'm trying to like have some sort of story. I'm pretty good at, at being present, but I'm also kind of like, maybe we'll go over there and see that log. And she's on, her, on the ground picking up the sand that's in front of us right now and and marveling at it. That's not just like, oh, cute, I'm learning how to appreciate life again. I think that might be the meaning of life. Alan Watts has this really interesting thing where he's like, where you just take reality as a foregone conclusion. That's why you have to die. (laughs) He's like, you need to get out of the way because the universe seems to like to enjoy itself. So it's like, kill these people off and bring in the new ones because the new ones are going to be the ones that get on their knees and touch the sand instead of suffering going like, we're supposed to go around the block. So staying childlike is maybe I, one of the most important lessons ever.
1: I completely agree. I mean, I, look, there, here's the thing is, a two-year-old still has the chance to learn right from wrong. A two-year-old still has the chance to actually see the world for what it is as opposed to what society mandates it should be. That's right. A two-year-old still has the ability to uh, enjoy the innocence, the the beauty, the the natural wonder that is a rock, that right. is a leaf before cynicism takes hold and, and you take it for granted. So I try to constantly look at my girls as my gift of a new perspective so that I can get back to the fundamentals of viewing the world the way it should be viewed as opposed to the way it, we think it's supposed that's to be viewed.
0: Exactly right. And perspective, I when I heard people talking about seeing through their kids' eyes, I was like, oh, that's cool. And I, I would sort of commercialize it i'd go like well a perspective will make you happier or a perspective will maybe give you more energy to go out and achieve and consume or whatever but perspective is so much more important it doesn't do anything it doesn't produce anything in our western sort of capitalistic sense like it doesn't help us achieve anything but it's the whole thing not what you're seeing, how, you're seeing, how it, you're seeing it. Is the whole game. I used yep. to think it was just like a hallmark sentiment, but if you look at spiritual traditions, and maybe this is a good way to get into yours.
1: But that but sorry to interrupt, but that's please. the problem, Pete. Like that's the that's a fundamental problem, is that we've been conditioned to think that's a hallmark sentiment, right? Like that's the problem with it, is that it 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 sounds cliche. It's a when when we just have to get back to the basics of recognizing no 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 th- this other thing is the thing that's off this other sort of preconceived idea of what society mandates you know as as being uh, of great importance and of little importance maybe the weight of those two things is is skewed and off. That's right.
0: It's not the sentiment. It's actually the hallmarkification of the sentiment. So Jack Kornfield, who's a great Buddhist teacher just came on and he was talking about love being the engine and the purpose of the universe and who you are in your, in your truest being. And we hear that, And I think, let's just call it the system, (laughs) has turned it into something like, oh, that's nice because that gives me a good feeling. It's like eating chocolate. I'm love, everything's love, love is good. I eat it, it makes me feel nice, therefore it's useful. But if you can put aside useful or not useful or uh, helpful to my present mood or unhelpful and just go, no, that's true, like love has been photocopied over and over and over so many times that we don't even know what we're talking about when we're talking about it. That's why I'm always trying to be like, love is yes. My daughter is loving the beach when she's looking at that sand because she's giving it space in her consciousness and she's flowing with it. She's merging with it. That's love. And that's where the whole fucking game is hiding. And we've turned it into a product. We've been like, I love Pop-Tarts or whatever. <laughs> and I know I'm not the first, this sounds like my dinner with Andre, but we're not the first per- people to point this out. But what I'd like to point out is it's like that, that you can snap out of that illusion and and ground yourself and drop your anchor in love, in yes, and then that changes The whole, the whole game, the whole ball of wax.
1: I couldn't agree more. You know, it's, it's, it's fascinating because I've been uh, the, the one, be the, the one opportunity that I have to sort of leave, uh, my home and, and get out into the world is to go for a walk around my neighborhood every day. And I started just touching the leaves. I started touching the flowers. I started to literally smell the roses Mm. And I think in some ways, you know, the universe has sort of put us into a timeout right now. It's, it's, I, I think, in the, and it sounds crazy, I'm sure, but it, it. I feel like it's trying to remind us to just stop, to consider, to think, to listen, to hear, to see, uh, because we go so fast, we go so hard. We go at such a rapid pace in life that that we we don't do that. Look, I'll, I you know on a personal note, I'm always traveling for work, so the amount of time where I get to just sit and have lunch or dinner with my girls is uh, oftentimes uh, limited. And here I am, and I find myself suddenly immersed in nothing but time with my kids. And that is a gift that I didn't even realize how much I fucking needed. That's right. And now that I have it, I can't let it go. And, and like, that's the thing <laughs> is like, it, it, it doesn't have to be a lot of people are looking at this moment as a, a really hard one with regard to the pandemic, which I agree it, it is, especially from an economic standpoint, but there are silver linings, I hope. And one of those silver linings, I think is the opportunity to, to rethink, to reset to go back into the world as it's starting to definitely and quickly go back into motion with a certain respect for um, each other and the environment that I I think has been um, really hard given our tendency to always go, go, go and never stop and and actually uh, consider.
0: Completely agree. I had to go to the doctor for something small, uh, not COVID related. And I got in my car and I drove to the doctor and then I drove back and I was like, I used to do that at four or five times a day, just leave for like 90 minutes, two hours. And it was just like, because I thought that's what life was. And now life is so much, I keep saying to Val, like, it's like little house on the prairie and I enjoy it. And we're sort of hopefully waking up to an opportunity to rebalance priorities and lifestyles. Because I was like, just because I can, and I, I was already okay at this, I could tour every weekend if I wanted to. And, but then I was like, let's make that every other weekend. Then I was like doing this. I was like, why you don't even have to do that if you don't want to like, and, and we don't have to someone in your position. You don't have to say yes to every, I'm not saying you do every movie or every project. Like space isn't just space. The, the way we see the world, so you're touching flowers and smelling smelling them and touching leaves and stuff, the way we see reality informs how we behave. So when we see a lot of the fucked up shit that's happening in the world, I think a lot of it, a lot of the attitude behind it comes from losing our center. So it might seem so indulgent and so hippy-dippy and so counterproductive to just slow down and let your awareness be a little bit more like my daughters on the beach, but that is what we're mirroring out into the world. The mm-hmm. way that you treat the beach is the way that I treat you. And the way that I treat you impacts the way that you go home and treat, you know what I'm saying? It's the fucking butterfly effect of, of kindness and compassion. My, my homeboy Ramdas had this thing when he was sort of learning meditation and all this stuff. There was so much uh, tumultuousness in the world and he was like, shouldn't I be doing something else? And he did get involved for sure. But he also was like, the way that we work on our inner world, it's what's being mirrored with our parents, right? Our fighting parents. Even as a kid, I knew what they they were fighting about wasn't what they were fighting about. It's your inner reality being writ large in our outer reality. It's all one thing funneling and circling like the infinity symbol back and forth, back and forth. So slowing down and touching leaves and smelling flowers is serious medicine when it comes to work on our hearts and and that turns into our actions.
1: I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, I, I think if we were meant to consume everything, and meant to not consider the beauty of the world, then we wouldn't be brought in this world with that being our natural instinct. Yeah. Uh, We just keep passing down bad habits over and over again to the point where it becomes the norm. But it doesn't have to be, and it certainly shouldn't be. And I I do think that this could be, we'll see if it will be, but a, a, a breaking point.
0: I think so too. I think even early on, we were, I was sort of noticing that it was a crisis of capitalism (laughs) is that like, I, sometimes you don't even know the systems that you're operating under, but like, I definitely was guilty of like, more is better, grab as much as you can You're at the, you got in the the show business level of the hotel party, go and eat as much of the shrimp as you can, Uh, take as many of the gift bags as you can, whether that's not how I behave at a party. I'm just saying that was my mentality was like, always do more, make more, more, more. And now we're seeing the virtue of, of being more in tune with the natural world. I, I, I think we're saying the same thing. Yeah. Did you grow up? I know you're Jewish and your wife is Catholic. The only reason I mentioned that is because we, I just can't get enough of hearing how people frame reality if there is a spiritual bent to it. Um, we've talked about it a little bit, so don't feel like you need to do anything. But I'd love to know what you were raised believing, how that's evolved, how you see the sure. world.
1: I was raised uh, traditional uh, in a Jewish household. You know, um, and that came with the weight of, um, you know, two survivors um, from the Holocaust, my my grandparents, who quite literally sacrificed um, so much because of their religion and their faith. So you feel that pressure, you feel that, you know, that 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 Jewish guilt as it's become uh, mm-hmm. coined. And and that was something that really sort of uh, drove me. And my father in particular was very religious. And then one day he cheated on my mom and it's it felt like a whole different set of rules applied to, you know, his uh, religious perspective than what I thought I was being told. So I sort of started to six or seven, right? It was about when I was about six. So I started to call bullshit mm. and I just was I resented religion uh, while still sort of like, you know, dipping my toe here and there. Well, what I sort of evolved into was really enjoying tradition and really enjoying uh, these things that have been passed down for so many generations. Um, But, you know, even though I grew up with a mandate that I would always marry in the faith, uh, when I got to the point that I met my wife, I was like, what the fuck is the point of, you know, disavowing the idea of love because of a set of preconceived notions and rules that we've applied on ourselves. So it's they, like
0: uh, chasing Amy. Did you see chasing Amy?
1: Yeah, of course. Remember of course. where she's
0: like, wasn't the whole idea of exploring our sexuality because she was uh, a lesbian to not rule anything out. Like she has a really interesting yeah. monologue about like, and now I'm in love with a man. Like I, I thought we were liberated. Like I thought that was the, it just came to mind.
1: Yeah. And, and, and I was like, I was like, you know what I feel in my heart, like this is who I want to be with. And so I, um, I, we married and, and I, you know, we were both very clear. We didn't want the other to, to become anything other than what we were. Mm. So, you know, my wife who was brought up in a Catholic household had her uh, relationship with Catholicism. I had my relationship with Judaism and we would be a, a household that would allow for multiple experiences and ideas and um, and opportunities so that our kids could have Christmas, Hanukkah, a celebration of all of the things that we love without the mandates that come with it. And the rules, the rules, the rules that always seem to drive mm. the, this, this, you know, devout mentality that, that sort of gives you whiplash from uh, you know, if you're breaking any, any single rule, then you're not a good person. We, we didn't want that for them. That. Mm. Uh, and, and God bless those who can live their lives like that. I, I just was never one who felt like I could. And uh, that doesn't mean I'm not spiritual. I, I, I love spirituality. I believe that, you know, even if it is energy, that, that there is a power that, that binds us, that is, um, that is, as powerful, whether it's explained by theology or by science, yeah. and and that has always been, um, you know, a, a driving sort of desire. I pray. I I definitely find myself praying more than ever right now um, mm-hmm. for some light in the darkness for for humanity. And I believe, I believe in the power of self fulfillment. I believe in the power of you know, putting something out in the world, sharing that ideal with others and willing it into existence. And I believe it because I've seen the proof. I've seen Mm -hmm. the proof throughout humanity of what we can achieve when we actually put our minds to it. Um, so that, that's sort of my philosophical bent. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's just, it just is.
0: Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I mean, who cares? But for what it's worth, I think that's really beautiful. I did I didn't even realize when I was asking, I might have been saying a mouthful when I was like, Oh, you're Jewish and your wife's Catholic. I just meant I had read that, but obviously that yes. was like a thing.
1: That was it, a thing. That was a very, very much a thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and uh and a thing that I think was upsetting for a little while to a lot of people in yeah. our lives, but
0: Yeah. It's, that is very interesting. It also, I don't know, when these conversations happen, these podcasts happen, everything sort of starts to feel interconnected. And there's something about your feelings maybe about the, the South Florida being in Hollywood, Florida. And then what I imagine to be you dunking into the deep end of diversity in Manhattan and also in the theater community. There's something the coming together of so many different types and, and the, and the harmony with all these disparate pieces. I always, I said this to Billy Eckner. he did the podcast recently, it'll be out. But we were talking about when I went and saw Helltown, I'll only ever call it Helltown now. (laughs) um, I was like looking around, not even judgmentally, but I was like, a lot of these people don't think gay people should be married or, or whatever it might be, or they think it's unnatural or something. And I was like, without a doubt, so many of the, fabulous performers we just watched are are probably gay or some of them are gay. Statistically, a good number of them are gay, right? Or not a good number, a normal, whatever you hear, you hear what I'm saying. I I just want to be careful and not be like people in musicals are gay. I'm just saying, let's be honest. Some of these people are probably gay Uh, and you were just delighted by them. I hope that could melt your heart a little bit that the, that the power of art would take the story Leela's supposed to go this way, or people are supposed to behave this way, or I'm gonna marshal other people's love goes away when you're either smelling a flower, walking with your daughter, or being having a spell cast on you by an incredible production of Helltown, where it's like, don't you see, don't you see the love that was just created for you by people? And you know what? Those audience members that I was also imagining that might not have the same views as the cast or the people next to them for a moment, the spell worked and all of that went away and we were just what we are, which is just awareness together, buzzing at the same frequency. That's one of the magical things. about That's
1: entire, there. that's entirely right. Um, and I think that that is, again, the power of what we do is it, it can move people to, to a uh, drastic sort of uh, big, see changes in their lives. I, yeah. I, look, it's, it sounds crazy, but I, there are more than a handful of people who saw Book of Mormon, for instance, and let me know that they converted to the LDS church as a result of seeing that show because they actually found it incredibly uplifting and powerful in a way yeah. that I didn't even think about, but a, a sort of like a pro-faith thing and I think that, it, 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 you know, theater has that ability to transcend your, your notions of what's right, of what's totally. wrong. That right? doesn't and, surprise and, me at all. The no, Book of and, oh, Go ahead. No, no, please.
0: I was just going to say, I found it, as a person who was a fundamentalist, who then lost his faith and now enjoys sampling from every platter, I found it to be incredibly pro-faith. And there's actually something even weirder going on. So Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan, he's a great teacher and a friend of mine. He taught me that he has this quote. He says, we don't come to God or truth or mystery. You can use whatever word we want. By doing it right, we come to it by doing it wrong. So here's the show that has all of this. I think Trey and uh, they would admit ugliness. There's like ugliness in it. There's there's hard stuff in it. There's brutality in it. and then it ends in this, not just, and now it's a happy ending because we want you to leave and write a good review. It ends because that's the that's the arc of the human spirit. You called bullshit on your father for having an affair. And then your faith was cracked open. I say it all the time. Leonard Cohen says that cracks are where the light comes through, right? You thought, as I did, because my wife, my first wife had an affair and we were both supposed to be Christian. I thought the whole thing was supposed to be when you're with God, when you're on the side of light and truth, uh, you're, everything's supposed to go your way. But look to the the Bible or any other faith, for example, after example, after example, where they say that is not the arc of change. Right. So when people, my mission trip was actually in Uganda. I didn't go on a three-year mission. So I had like a personal tie when I saw the Book of Mormon. <laughs> Because I was challenged by that, being in the slums and all that, and you're like isn 't this supposed to I thought I was coming here to bolster my faith, and here it is being challenged by watching all of this horrible poverty so when I think that 's what made that show so resonant and and give it this longevity is that it 's not just like what so many people say, hey, religion 's not perfect, but it' it 's good it keeps you, it makes you a good person." at its deeper levels, it's there to say, yeah, shit's fucked. And right. we're all we got. We're all we yep. got. And, and we, can, we can interpret and we can shape. Like you said, a group can get together and make a conscious decision to try and shape it. Even if it's not literally true, a myth can bring people to something that's impossible to talk about.
1: Which is the whole point of the show. That's, that's exactly right. It.
0: That's right. I, I mean, and when I saw that, I was like, whether or not everybody acknowledges it, that's why it's so fun to laugh and turn it off and, and to laugh at, at well-meaning boys trying to be pious. Because isn't that all of us? But at mm-hmm. the end, you leave going, yeah, it's right there in your fingertips touching the leaves on your walk it's it was right there with me and my daughter with the wet sand that she was putting on my foot that's where it is and it's the brain and the ego that wants to turn it into a group and turn it into certainty but something like that that can just level it out and steam clean it and remind you that this moment this moment is the only one we have and all the truth and love you need is right here i think who cares if it's a story that your character made up in the end? We just want the juice. We just want yep. the connection. Yep. You got me preaching. Uh-huh. You got me preaching. I love it. You know what, though, Gad? I, I say that because I needed it. Val and I were talking this morning, and we both meditated this morning, and I was saying to her, well, not together because we have a baby, but I was like, I felt outside of my body. I'm here in a bad way. I felt disconnected. And I was like, I went to the beach and I was trying to be present and I'm singing to the baby and all these things, but I wasn't there. So when I do these little homilettes or sermonettes or whatever, it's because I'm trying to get there with you. I'm not there until we started having this conversation. It brings me there. I love
1: that. I love that. And I think we need that right now more than ever. I want, I want to take up meditation. I'm very jealous of everyone I know who has a mantra and who meditates because I've never done it. And I've always longed for it because I feel like my my soul requires it. Uh, and and I, it's, it's something that I keep inviting myself to do that I haven't uh, actually accomplished yet.
0: Yeah, I hear that. Um, if, I, if I gave you one way to do it, that I I wish somebody had explained it to me this way because it makes it a little bit sexier uh, and a little bit more appealing is think of it. Like you're going to sit and you're going to watch your breath. You're just going to focus. So your brain wants to focus. It's like a, it's like a flashlight and it wants to, like we pointed at the TV and that's where our attention is. And you don't notice the clicking uh, clock in the room because your attention is pointed at the TV. Right. Or you and I, it's pointed at each other and I'm not hearing my daughter running around because I'm focused on you. So in that same way, we just point the spotlight of our attention on the sensation of breathing. And this is almost over, by the way. It's not a long lecture. So you just focus on breathing. But here's the key. Instead of thinking about whether or not you're doing it good or bad, whenever your brain goes somewhere else, you just come back with compassion and forgiveness and allowing like not like a come on josh just think about the breath you're doing bad you just go into a mercy seat where everything and anything is okay you think right. about punching somebody in the face don't don't let your brain rope you in and and take 5 minutes thinking about what a piece of shit you are you just let it flow like a, a like a leaf on a river and that's what you're practicing but if somebody had been like it's just a time that you set aside to forgive yourself for being exactly how you are while also trying to bring your focus to your breath i'm like that is a more appealing way than this will help you sleep this will help you with stress (laughs) like you'll get and when you're good at it maybe you'll see a floating blue light like she she talked about that need pray love seeing a floating blue light and for the longest time i would meditate trying to see a floating blue light it's like it's like you were saying about the, the, the trees and the, and the transcendentalist paintings and the Ansel Adams photo. Like be small and disappear. It, we don't need to achieve anything. Just think of it as a time where you go, whatever I think or feel is okay. okay. And, I right. and love it. And, and breathe. That's, that's meditation.
1: I love that. That's, that's all you, you need. I'm going to actually take that up.
0: I, I hope you do. It'd be fun. I really, okay, so I had your movie brother, Zach Braff, on uh, from
1: <laughs> I love w- Zach.
0: Wish I Was Here, and you're so great in that movie, and you're great w- with you. him, and, uh, and he and I are like, we got to hang out, and I'm going to say that to you. Let's hang out. Yes. I want to see you in person, as a person. I say that, I mean, like, not as a fan. I want to see you, Josh, and hang, so let's do it.
1: I would absolutely love that. I would love right. that. Okay, buddy.
0: Um thank you for doing it. Do you feel so- oh, I'm sorry, one last question. Yeah. People would be mad if I didn't ask we ask every guest. Can you think of a time you laughed really really hard? Sometimes it's a little bit too much pressure the time you laughed the hardest in your life. But it, yeah. if you can think of a time when you were laughing till it hurt.
1: Uh, I was I was driving with my buddies Seth and Sam. And we were going to Big Bear Mountain, and we uh, we were just doing the stupidest uh, like thing where we came up with a show called the Gruff Stuff, and it would ju- it only <laughs> featured it only featured um, like characters <clears throat> like Miss Piggy and like and the like uh, Inspector Gadget, like Claw. Like it was the dumbest fucking thing ever, and they were all on this talk show called The Gruff Stuff. And I almost blacked out because I was laughing so hard that I almost steered off the side of the fucking road. Oh, my God. I mean, it was like, you know that scene in in in, um, in Who Framed Roger Rabbit where the weasels all die from laughing too hard? That was me in that moment. <laughs> like, I was going to be the weasels. <laughs> I so love then,
0: it. People that listen to this show know that my story is me with an old friend saying stuff that doesn't even make sense. Yeah, so it's then, always
1: bu- it's, great. it's bullshit.
0: It, it's 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 insane. We ours was a, a cooking show that we used to speed up our voices with high speed dubbing, and it was cooking <laughs> cooking with Alvin. So it was Alvin and <laughs> the Chipmunks, and he was ho- none of this was planned. We didn't even know it. I'm so proud of myself. We didn't even know we were doing improv, but we were. We were. <laughs> so so pleased with myself. But it was the cooking show, and it was called Cooking with Alvin. And, he, and me, Alvin, goes, and today on Cooking with Me, and we thought that Alvin calls Cooking with Alvin Cooking with Me was the funniest. I mean, like, that is gruff stuff. That is just, like, a pure kid... I don't know if I can explain it
1: to you, but it was dumb. dumb. I I was just, I love the dumber, the better. And I love a good pun. And like my friends always know that like the dumber, the pun, the more I will just go into a tizzy.
0: I uh, well when I see you in person, I'll have my uh, pun program running. I'll see. Yes, I have some you some good ones. <laughs>
1: and, and thank you again for having me on. I, I, I like I said, I'm such a big fan, and and uh, so appreciate it.
0: I'm likewise, man. I'm so glad that we got to connect. This made my day better, and I think it'll do uh, that for a lot of people. We have the guests uh, say the sign off, which is "keep it crispy." If you would please say "keep it crispy," sure. Keep it crispy. <laughs> oh. Oh, I didn't yes. know. You didn't sort of, you do. I liked it. It was sort of sincere. It was a little bit it was a little bit bedroom voice. Yeah, keep it crispy. Uh, oh, I will. Yeah. Thank you, Josh. Thank you very much. Thank you, much. Enjoy place. your family. We'll see Have you again. Have a great
1: one. Be safe.
0: Bye-bye you. i so crispy. I'm so
1: crispy. My ice